This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore, and the Chief is off this week, but we have a very special guest with us today, writer, director, actor, Mr. John Lee Brody. What's up, John? Welcome to the podcast, man. What's, what's going on, Zach? Thank you for having me. That's quite the intro you gave me. I, hopefully, I live up, uh, live up to that hype. Let's, uh, fingers crossed on that. I'm a man of many hats, right? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I, if I learn to figure skate, then I can literally do almost every, everything. But not, I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so John and I actually connected uh, via my Smallville podcast. Uh, always hold on to Smallville. As you guys uh, hear me plug every week here <laughs> on the network, I have another podcast. Wait, what's the name of that, that podcast again? Uh, just just called, one more time. It's called Always Hold on to Smallville. You can find us on Twitter at Always Smallville <laughs> with one S. <laughs> <laughs> also follow our Facebook page. Right? <laughs> Maybe say it one more time, just in case people didn't get. Yeah, it. so that's always hold on to Smallville, folks. I don't. I want to be very clear about this, but uh, anyway. So, uh, so John's a big Smallville fan, and he's going to be on uh, the Smallville podcast down the road here. But uh, as far as Star Trek goes, John has some serious cred that most of us really can only dream about. He's uh, he's appeared on screen as a Starfleet officer in a Star Trek movie. So we'll get into that down the line. But but long story short, man, you were a security guard with the red shirt, and you didn't die. So good job. Yeah, you know, it's spoiler alert in case anyone hasn't seen Star Trek in the Darkness. If you haven't, then, then why are you listening to this podcast? Because I would assume <laughs> you'd be pretty up to speed. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't see me die. I mean, we don't know what happens off screen. But I'm assuming that I lived and maybe moved on to the... To greener pastures or something maybe i moved maybe i moved to iowa and i took over you know kirk's stepfather's car dealership or whatever I don't know. <laughs> that's that's some fan fiction for you right there that you guys can <laughs> rack your brain around that's great <laughs> well, well we'll get into your time on the enterprise uh, later on in the conversation but to start out let's let, you know let's go back to the beginning how did you how did you first get into the whole show business thing man is it something you've always wanted to do or, or what's the story there you know, the thing I always wanted to do, I grew up in Chicago. So, I mean, that's a very sports heavy town. And uh, I grew up in the 90s. So that's, you know, the Michael Jordan, you know, era. So I want to be in the NBA. That was my dream. That was my number one goal. And uh, um, I didn't get there, obviously. Uh, I, I'm not Jeremy Lin, in case people were wondering. <laughs> so Lin. just, just to not to profile myself, that ain't me. But I do have mad respect for the dude. I'm I'm a, I'm a big Jeremy Lin fan. I live here in Houston, so he was we had we had Lin Sanity here for a little bit as well. So. Hey, nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing wrong with Lin, Lin Sanity with his cornrows and everything, and he's got he's got it all going on. 
Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I always loved movies. I mean, that, that's my earliest memory with, uh, with my pop and like my, my brothers and just my family. We would watch um, just movies together all the time. And I never thought I would be in the movie industry. Uh, I thought, if anything, uh, I would become a, uh, an NBA player and, you know, make a really, make a movie like Shazam. I was like, if Shaquille O'Neal can do it, then maybe I can get a movie career out of my basketball career. That was, I thought, the only way I would be, um, be, uh, be into it. But uh, I guess, you know, uh, when I look back, I guess I was more into it than I realized because any time we had a video project for class, even my friends would tell me now that I grew up in, they were like, you were just a natural in terms of just, you know, putting things together. And I never thought of it, about it then. I just wanted to pass the class so I could, so I wouldn't fail and so I could play basketball and play sports. I thought of it that way. So, um, eligibility, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank God for geology 101 rocks for jocks. Otherwise I don't know <laughs> what I would have done, but, uh, <laughs> I wish I were kidding, but that's, that's 100% true. No, man. I mean, I guess in, I'm, I'm trying to answer this question and, and I know I'm going in a very roundabout way because I'm a little all over the place, but my, my dream was to be a pro athlete. And uh, I, I did play in college. I played college football. I wasn't recruited as a basketball player because, you know, a 6'2 point guard, unfortunately, is kind of a dime a dozen mm-hmm. uh, with the big schools. Uh, if I were 6'5, scouts told me, if I, scouts would tell me, if you were 6'5, without a doubt, you'd have a full ride and probably a shot at the NBA. That's, that's what I was told. Um, whether that's true or not, we'll never know, but it was a nice compliment to get. And uh, so I got, I mean, I, so I played college football. I got injured, and that was the end of just my athletic career. And to make a long story, to make a long, very long story long, because it's not going to be very short, uh, I, I graduated college 2007 from the University of Illinois, go Illini. Uh, for any Illini. I have some good friends that went to the University of Illinois. Actually. Hey, it's, yeah. that's, a, that's a good school right there, man. That's, that's a good school right there. I, I, I have a lot of love for, for University of Illinois Champaign. Man. That's, that's uh, some great memories there for sure, without a doubt. Um, so I graduated, and I was also going through a, a pretty bad breakup with this girl that I thought I was going to marry and you know, start my, my life. In term, I was going to be an accountant I was, or I was going to go to law school. That was my plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming out of college and when the whole breakup happened as anyone out there knows when you have a bad breakup that messes you up I mean it, it sounds kind of it doesn't sound silly to say it but it's like when you're in it you guys know when that happens it just you start reevaluating everything mm-hmm. that you're doing up to that point so I deferred my law school acceptance um, I turned down the job offer at uh, the accounting firm it was one of the big four accounting firms they were offering a very nice contract, but I turned it all down and I said, I want to take a year off and do something. I just want to do things for me because my entire life was school and practice and that was about it. I didn't have much of a social life growing up and I didn't really have time to do leisurely things. And so I started to, for fun, I took acting classes. I, I went to Second City Chicago, a um, little plug for them there and also the Piven Theater. Um, Joyce and Byrne Piven, uh, Jeremy Piven's parents were running it. And Joyce Piven was one of my first acting coaches uh, back in Chicago. And I just really loved it. It just, there was just something about it. And I'm like, I felt like it was kind of a funny moment. I was like, well, why wasn't I doing this before? You know, uh, sort of thing. I was just having so much fun. And, and Joyce actually encouraged me to just really give it a shot. She's like, I know you when you came in, you were very honest with me. And you told me 
you're kind of just doing this just to do it. But it's like, I really feel like you could make something yourself. So make something out of yourself with this. And, um, so I thought to myself, you know what, you only live once and, uh, I'm going to move to LA and I'm going to see how it goes. So, uh, <laughs> I went on Craigslist and I found, uh, uh, uh <laughs> I found an apartment in downtown LA and I paid my deposit. I paid everything sight unseen, which is probably one of the dumbest things I could have done. Mm, okay. Sight unseen. I'd say I, I went based off of the photos on Craigslist and now full this <laughs> now to people out there do not. I mean, and luckily in my case, it worked out, but I've, I've been hearing horror stories now that on Craigslist, people will post these photos of a quote unquote apartment and they get there and it's nothing like it. Luckily that wasn't the case for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I basically FedEx, you know, cashier's checks to this, this uh, apartment complex and said, I'm ready to move in um, this day. It was, it was August 2008 when I did that. And, um, and I did, and I bought a one-way ticket from Chicago to LA and uh, I basically shipped my stuff out. I, I was basically, um, a sh- that ship with a P, everybody. <laughs> I, I did not drop it. I did not say a bad word. I, I Federal Express boxes on my stuff to the apartment complex. They were very gracious and letting me just kind of hold it there until I got there. And uh, I um, took the one-way ticket, booked it out to L.A. and moved in. And luckily the place, you know, was the place in the photos. Um, it was <laughs> this really small studio apartment, man. And downtown Los Angeles. So it was like off of Garland Avenue. Like it's like, oh man, it didn't even have a kitchen. Like it didn't have a stove. <laughs> it had a mini fridge. So I was lucky to have it came fully furnished. It came with like cable. <laughs> but it was more of a motel. I don't know if I call it a hotel. This is definitely a glorified motel. Like you know like you ever seen the movie Big? Yeah, yeah. So you know that hotel he stays at the St. James Motel. I mean, it wasn't quite that level. It was a little couple steps above that. I mean, I at least had my own bathroom. I didn't have to go in the hallway and use uh, the community bathroom. But it was it was you know very humble beginnings, man. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I look back at that place. I'm like, wow, I lived in the. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but I did it. That's awesome, man. Like the whole, that's the classic, you know, pack up your bags and follow your dreams and go out West. And I'm glad it's really, you know, really worked out for you, man. That's awesome. Oh, I did, man. My, so yeah, my IMDB profile, that is 100% true that I bought the one-way ticket um, <laughs> out to Los Angeles. I know people like, they like to say that because it sounds cool. Because it does. I mean, let's, let's face it. It sounds cool to say, hey, I bought a one-way ticket because I'm going to pursue my dream. You got to be like, whoa, dude, that's pretty awesome. But I, I, and I feel like that sounds cool, but I actually did it. So you know, just letting y'all know. So, so once, so once you're out there, uh, what was like? How did you really first break into the industry? I know you have you have some you have some early credits. And you know, you're talking about 2007, 2008. You have some credits there, but like, how did you really get your first gig, so to speak? So this is uh, this is something that I want to touch on for, for any aspiring actors, filmmakers out there who um, who are doing work outside of Los Angeles and then becoming a, an LA transplant. So in Chicago, I actually booked work. My first professional gig was I was a uh, I was a background actor on the dark on on the dark night. That was my first professional gig, uh, which is pretty cool. And um, I, I got like really small co-star roles on the the leverage pilot shot in Chicago. I got like a, a co-star role on there. Like I had one line. It got cut anyway, but I had one line. I got my <laughs> SAG eligibility. Yes. And, and C- CSI New York. I mean, I, I booked a good amount of work in Chicago, and that also gave me the confidence to move out to Los Angeles and do my thing. But um, a lot of times, unless you're someone doing like a, unless you're someone in New York and you're saying like you're the star of Hamilton or something huge and come to LA, 
you're, they're not really going to care if you were, you know, student number one on CSI New York because that it just didn't, didn't apply there. And I didn't know that. Nobody told me this. Mm-hmm. I was um, under the impression that, hey, I have credits. I have SAG eligibility. I've done this. You know, I was on, you know, two network shows. I should be good to go. And the, it, and there's probably like 100,000 other people that were student number one on all these other shows, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 1,000%. And, uh, and if it's just if you're not doing it in Los Angeles, it's almost like it doesn't count. It's almost mm-hmm. like I was in like the D League or I was in the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, you could throw 20 no hitters in, say, like, AAA baseball. But if you come up to the majors, that's not going to mean anything. You know, it's the, right. so that didn't really carry over. Um, nobody told me that. I learned that on my own. But that's fine. You know, I'm glad I did. Uh, so just FYI for people out there, uh, that, that is a lot of times the case. So don't get discouraged when uh, you try to go out for L.A. castings and you feel like you have a good – you know, deal of uh, experience under your belt. It's just, if it hasn't been done in Los Angeles with these companies here, with the casting directors here, it's just, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just like you kind of do have to start over in a sense. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's just, that's like some advice I'd love to give to anyone out there listening that's looking to get into the business. Cause um, I wish someone had told me that. Um, but now I can tell everyone else that. No, that's great, man. It's all about passing, paying it forward and passing it down. You know, it's it's crazy in this you know this internet age that we have. Everybody's so connected, and you can tweet at people, and you feel so like, oh, I, I'm friends with so and so on Facebook or Twitter, right? It's it's like everybody, you know, it's not as special anymore. Everybody has a website, right? Everybody has a reel, you know. It's like, but I but I have a podcast, right? <laughs> so like, who does? Yeah. You know, that that's a great point too because when I moved out here, there was MySpace. Um, you know, MySpace was a thing. So for anyone, the youngins, you don't know MySpace is, do a Google search on it for a good laugh. I'm sure, I think my MySpace page still exists technically. I don't think I ever deactivated it. It's hopefully, I, I think it's going to be embarrassingly hilarious if you look, if it's still up because, right. um, for those who don't know, MySpace was, I, I it was kind of like Tumblr with Facebook. It, it was just, it was a whole mishmash of social media stuff. And, you could customize your own music to it, and it was like very image that was, based. That was painful, man. When people customize their backgrounds, you had like. <laughs> I, I was that. I was that guy, though. Oh no! <laughs> that's how I hustled. So, just if you're talking about how I broke in, that's how I hustled a lot of times because I would I would post these photos of me quote working. Um, like as soon as they go to my to the MySpace page, like they would see like, oh, this guy's like, look at his headshots. They look pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't think it ever worked, but that was my mindset. I'm like, you know, my MySpace page is going to look dope, and mm-hmm. somebody's going to hire me. Uh, I don't think I ever got hired off of from my MySpace. But yeah, I mean, the social media is such a, you know, I, honestly, I owe a lot of my career to social media, mm-hmm. um, to be perfectly honest, because um, uh, I know we want to talk about this later, but we might as well bring it up now. So my, my short film, Police Guys, yeah. which we, you and I have talked about it a little bit. Um, so I made this thing for like $200, um, that was spent on stock footage, stock music and food for the cast. Uh, everyone else came out on favors. It was just one of these things where I had this idea. Um, I was like, let's just make this buddy cop thing. I think this would be a lot of fun to make. And I wanted to showcase myself as a director. So, um, the reason I was doing that is because I was going out on a lot of castings and not getting a lot of love for it. And. Um, it was coming to the point where access to high-end equipment was a lot easier, mm-hmm. uh, more accessible. So I knew I had access to high-end cameras, high-end lenses, and 
a very, very capable crew and very, just very um, established cast. So I made this short film and I really did it just as a vehicle for myself that I could put myself out there as a film director and someone who could do things. But we, we put out, like we, we made a trailer for it just to see, just because we wanted to make a trailer. So it was just, it would just look funny. And we put it on Twitter and this is back in like 2012. Um, it was like around Thanksgiving, 2012. And um, I remember within an hour, an hour or two, we had maybe like 5,000 retweets. Wow. Um, and I think in total, we've gotten over 10,000 retweets on that trailer um, on Twitter. And it changed everything. I went from 500 followers to like, I think, God, I woke up the next day and I think I had 6,000 um, overnight. That, <laughs> and is, then, that is impressive, man. <laughs> yeah. And, all cause, and, I, and it wasn't, it was just people kept retweeting by copying and pasting. This is kind of before, uh, this is before BuzzFeed really mm. became a thing. And BuzzFeed was very much, you know, kind of, um, they really mastered the copying and pasting and like making things uh, viral and stuff like that. But this was just pure user base. And, and then I was starting to look at who was responding to it. And one of them was Edward Burns, uh, the film director. And he, I remember he reached out to me and said, hey, I caught this trailer. It's like, I don't know if it's a feature or a short, but this is really cool. And, and I told my new, like, you realize Brothers McMullen is one of my biggest inspirations um, to make my own movies. And th this means everything. He's like, well, that's really cool, man. I like, hopefully we we'll work together someday. And I'm like, whoa, what is oh, going wow. on? I was like, cause this is still pretty early in my career. And, and um, that was uh, an awakening for me just, you know, where I realized social media is a game changer. This, this can influence, you know, the rise or the fall of a movie, I feel like. And um, so I kept capitalizing on that. That's what I started doing. I started kind of getting in producer mode and thinking, well, I'm going to start really promoting my Twitter page and keep building that up. And it's at the point where I have a pretty substantial Twitter following. And, um, and I, I owe my career to this short film in, in, in uh, social media, man. I mean, I get, I get, taken seriously in the rooms now because of that short film because of social media well you, you got a blue check by your name man you made it <laughs> yeah you know what i felt like my my buddy uh name job mike mendez he's this really great director and um he, he's he's done a lot of really cool horror films he's got a movie coming out later this year with Dolph Lundgren and who doesn't love Ivan Drago but right. he, he got his verified check mark which I don't know how I got mine before his before he did but whatever it is what it is but um well I remember I remember when you first followed me on Twitter I was like oh man this guy's a blue check mark <laughs> <laughs> I love that man it, it does make you feel a little good like the water tastes a little <laughs> little better you know and everything it's just it's just I kind of expected a fruit basket to arrive at my my door and be like you made it <laughs> But that, none of that happened. None of that happened. But uh, Mike posted something the other day because he, he got his blue. It's well, technically it's a blue badge. When, when I looked closely, like it's actually a white check mark with a blue badge around it. I've been living a lie, you know. But uh, <laughs> and uh, Mike posted something like I'm fine. I'm verified now. I know how Pinocchio felt when he became a real boy. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty spot on. That it does feel pretty good. You, you feel very validated. Well, yeah. Let's talk about police guys for a second. So yeah, first of all, two two days, two hundred dollars, man. Very impressive. Obviously, you're calling in favors from your know, friends in the industry, and that's huge. Obviously, but I mean, as as you know, I've referenced you on the podcast, and you guys might have picked up on. I work in the production industry as well, and just just knowing those figures, I'm like, that is incredible, man. So yeah, slightly insane too, because this was during daylight savings too. So we when we didn't have lights, we didn't have. Um, 
we had exterior lights. We had some bounce board, bounce cars and everything to really, you know, so there's no shadows and we had a little bit of fill, but we didn't have, you know, lights. We just didn't have the budget for that. So, um, and once the sun went down, we were screwed. Mm-hmm. So we basically had, we had to start at about 6 a.m. And the sun was going down at that time by five o'clock. So we didn't even get a full 12 hour day. And I was still given our lunch breaks because I wanted to respect the fact that people are out there on their time and right. their Gotta favor. respect the crew, man. You got to, man, because if they would have walked, then what am I going to do? I, mean, right. I, can't, I can't really do it myself. So, <laughs> I mean, you just can't. So, um, yeah, man, two days, 200 bucks. And we did, like, the editing, color correction, and the VFX ourselves. I just – I had a lot of great help, man, on that. It's just the actors and crew are just top-notch. Yeah, no, it is on YouTube, so I recommend everybody go check it out. It's called Police Guys. It's about, what is it, like 15 minutes, I think it was? It's 15 minutes, so it's like it, – it's – it's a wonder. I was talking to my, my DP, Austin Nordell. Uh, shout out to Austin Nordell, one of the best freaking DPs in the business that, you know, you guys will all know his name in good time. But he's been my DP for about seven years now. I would say seven, six, seven years, ever since I did my first little short film called. I did this thing called Codename. It was his web series. That was the first thing I directed. But the first thing I put out there was his short film called drunk dial um it's basically like that scene in swingers where i keep calling this girl and she's not picking up and i'm leaving these messages (laughs) because she was supposed to meet me it was just this it was just something for me to do um you know it's kind of like the the guinea pig in terms of my you know directing myself in something right and uh so austin's been with me since then and and uh yeah we were talking i think maybe a month ago we're like how did we pull that off you know, we're, we're trying because we're about to do we're about to do uh, a couple awesome things together this year on a grander scale, and um, look, and but we're just like, how do we pull off police guys? Like we're trying to like we shouldn't have been able to do that, and we we're really stealing shots the second day because for whatever reason we weren't allowed to shoot at the location on the second day, but we did it anyway. Hmm. Um, and <laughs> sorry, not sorry, hashtag. Um, and we were and like, but we were looking over our shoulder the whole second day because we were sure someone was gonna throw us out but we got it done somehow man and um and uh you gotta get really creative with with a lot of things i mean even so you know that scene where i catch the bullet and i throw it back at the dude yeah so (laughs) so that's my first ad evan robichaud (laughs) that i ran out of stunt dudes and i was like well i can't just be shooting at nobody i mean we can't just pretend like it's the invisible man because that's gonna be a vfx shot we don't have time for that Mm -hmm. um so (laughs) i was like hey evan you want him to do some stunts? He's and Evan's just the ultimate team player, man. He's just like, yeah, man, I'll get there. And, and I put him on this little ledge where he had to shuffle back and forth. And I was like, yeah, he probably if he would have known what he had to actually do, he probably wouldn't have done it. But, yeah. <laughs> it is a very fun movie. It just it has a pretty twisted sense of humor, and it's just all over the place as far as what you guys encounter in that alleyway. And it's just a lot of fun. If you, if you guys definitely make the fifteen minutes to spare, check out Police Guys. It, it's worth. You'll get a few laughs for sure. It's worth your time. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I mean that's that's really where it all began for me, and I also realized that that's this is the direction I want to go with my career. I really started just focusing more on my writing and directing. Um, you know, and this is, uh, I had just wrapped Star Trek in the darkness too, when I would, uh, no, I was in the process. I was still shooting. No, I had wrapped Star Trek in the darkness. Sorry. I'm just thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. And by the time I shot this, I was, I was very much in love with lens flares because of JJ Abrams. There you go. Jade, the so, legacy <laughs> continues. Oh, it did. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have the luxury of anamorphic lenses and, and nuclear powered flashlights like he did, but, uh, we had a, we had what was called a, it's called a, you know, 
aspiring filmmakers out there. It's called a streak filter. So if you have a, like an MB20, if you have like a matte box around your lens and you get what's called a streak filter and you get sunlight, if you kind of point it in the direction of the sun, it'll give that kind of a lens flare look. And that's basically how we, we made that happen. So any chance I got, and there's one in there when we get out of the car and we're putting the bulletproof vest on, um, if you notice when we walk out, like when I start walk out of frame, there's a little bit of a flare. And that was, uh, that was like my JJ nod right there. No, I'll, I'll, geek, I'll geek out for a second here. I'm just curious, what kind of cameras did you guys use on that? Do you remember? Uh, so we, we were on those those 5D Mark IIs. Yes, yes, that's what I use back in the day. I, I use uh, 5D Mark III's right now as well as a, a Sony A7S's. So I was wondering if you did some DSLR stuff on that. We did, we did. And we had some really nice Zeiss Prime lenses on there. But mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you say cameras. We had camera. There was one. <laughs> I wish we had. We tried to make it look like we had three, which I think we... we, we... Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. You, you wouldn't know if you didn't know, so... Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, but uh, we had one camera. That's uh, awesome. That's I thought it might have been a, a DSLR, and yeah, it's all about the glass you put on it, man. It's true. It's true. We we were very fortunate with that, and I, I have some of my buddies that uh, who are like my producing partners, uh, Blacklist Digital. They they hooked me up with these lenses and these filters um, because they just wanted to help me out because they saw that I really wanted to do this. And um, another shameless plug there, Blacklist Digital. Um, they're, they're just awesome guys over there and they were, they were, they were, they were like, whatever you need, we got you. And, um, they, they really helped me out with that. I mean, it's that, that was just a, a culmination of just labor of love, man. That was such a fun time. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, you know, in, uh, you went on, was it before or after you started your production company? Cause you have a production company, Iron Will Productions. Uh, so was this all kind of tied together with it or how did that come about? It was. It was all tied together with that because I think technically the first time I had like a title card for Iron Will Productions was the short film Drunk Dial, which is also on YouTube. If you want to see me cussing out on the phone a lot, it's it's actually hilariously bad. Uh, but check it out. I mean, it looks great because I had a really I have a really good DP, but it's just <laughs> it's just something funny. But yeah, I mean that that was all tied into that to just uh, you know um, have just some credits to my production company. And uh, it's just built up ever since then. So that's Iron Will, man. Awesome. So you know, so let's let's talk some Shrek now, Johnny. You mentioned Into Darkness, so obviously you know that that's the whole Star Trek connection. That's why you're here. Uh, so tell tell us about just how you got how you got into Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, what was the whole process there, man? Okay, so I I went out on this like casting call at this audition for. It was just called Untitled Sci-Fi Movie, and there was no details being given. <laughs> not, not even Blue Harvest or anything cool like that. Untitled Sci-Fi Movie. <laughs> we weren't there yet. I, I, I got the, the dummy title by the time I knew I had the job, and I was in my wardrobe fitting. But okay. we'll, we'll get the, so, um, no, what, what it was was um, I went to this like audition, and um, I kind of just had these general like lines to read that they weren't even from the movie it's just i just kind of had to say these words they took my photo took my video and and that was it and um i had no idea what it was i just knew that it was a sag project so i was like okay it's a it's sag project cool that union union yay that's great mm-hmm. and uh that was i wouldn't say november november 2011 and um then i got an email in like December while I was shooting this other movie it was this this indie movie called Pawn um which is out on I think it's somewhere it's on Redbox or something it's um kind of a cop movie I, I somehow find a way of playing a police officer all the time it's kind of funny I, <laughs> think, I guess I did get typecast uh now that I think about it but uh 
I get this email that I've been booked on this um, sci-fi movie. And I still at this point did not know what it was. I, I was like, okay, great. And they said, These are your, you need to be available basically January through May. I said, this is amazing. Okay, this is like, this is it. And, uh, so I finally, I get an email when I got back, um, you know, from like the winter break. I still call it winter break because that's just that old exactly. school habit. <laughs> Same here. And, <laughs> and I got an email saying, you have a wardrobe fitting on this day on the Sony lot. I said, oh, okay. I was like, um, I knew it was a studio film, but I still at this point don't know what it is. And I get there. And um, I basically, I had to fill out this NDA that had to be at least 20 pages. Um, initialing and based, you know, urine sample. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I mean, they might as well have taken a urine and blood sample, honestly. Because right, right I, in the scan. Uh, so I, I fill out this NDA and I finally they, they walk me back into the wardrobe. And I'm waiting in this room and they bring in this, um, they bring this stuff in like a covered garment bag. And um, this is just, it just keeps building it, up. Yeah, it just I was like, what is happening here? I'm like, did I sign on for like one of those like adult film sci fi spoofs? You know, like I'm, I'm wondering what's going on, right? And uh, I open up the garment bag and I see this like red tunic, like this top. I'm like, wait, this looks really familiar. Like, so I try it all on, I try on all the wardrobe, everything fits great. And I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, holy bleep. Um, and I turned to the wardrobe supervisor. I said, is this Star Trek that I'm working on? And she's <laughs> like, yeah, you didn't know that? I was like, well, I, so that's a yes. That's what, that was what I said. Like, so yes. She's like, yeah. I was like, oh, wait. And so I had to take a moment. I like, I was like, I was like one of those dudes that, you know, um, is, you know, in those David Blaine videos when they're re responding to the street magic, I kind of had to walk away about 30 <laughs> feet and like just process it. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going to start. You know, this is amazing. And I'm going to work J.J. Abrams is one of my favorite directors. So I'm like, I'm going to work with J.J. Abrams. This is amazing. And, um, and at that point, they said, okay, now, you, now that you know what you're on, you only refer to this as Project HH. That's what it was known as, so HH meaning hush-hush. Okay. Um, so I, even on the slates, on the call sheets, everything said Project HH. And if you look closely on uh, um, any of the behind-the-scenes footage of, of Star Trek in the Darkness, whenever you see the slate in the frame, it'll it say says Project HH. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So just an FYI out there to anybody who's wondering if you caught that, that was our code name on set um, was Project HH. So that if one of the call sheets was like, you know, left laying around on the studio lot, which happens, mm -hmm. um, people wouldn't know. We all had code names. Uh, the, on, on the call sheet, the enterprise is known as the Chrysler building. Um, nice. Stuff like that. And like everyone, Chris Pine, John Cho, Carl Urban, Zoe Zeldan, everyone had code names. Like, so you, you might've been able to put two and two together. Um, but chances are you probably wouldn't. They were, JJ was very discreet, you know, right. very good about being discreet. And, and it made so much sense to me at that point when I realized what I was working on because I was like, oh, now the secrecy makes a lot of sense because uh, I was going to think I'm working for a crazy person, and, you know, and I was like, no, I'm just working with JJ Abrams. He's just great at keeping secrets. So. Now, I remember, obviously, it shot in L.A., so there was a lot of secrecy, and they were very upset when uh... – there was some, like some set photos leaked. It was like Cumberbatch and Quinto fighting. It was like the climax of the movie. Yeah, I wasn't on set that day, so that was done. So I shot only on the Sony lot, mm -hmm. um, stage fifteen. And funny enough, I had a meeting on the Sony lot last week, and I had to stop by stage fifteen just because soaking all the memories. So right. all of my footage was shot on stage fifteen, where the Enterprise interiors were, um, except for so they were shooting at Playa del Vista Studios that day. 
doing that that epic battle between Spock and Khan. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just a rehearsal. But yeah, I wasn't there that day. If I was, I'd like to think that I would have stopped the, the leak. But I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't. <laughs> you would have stopped it. Yeah, but I wasn't me. Just FYI, Bill, it wasn't me. Uh, so you weren't there. Very interesting. You were not on set that day of the league, John. <laughs> yeah, co- yeah, I, yeah. Very convenient, uh, right? No, no. I was. So that was down when they shot that Playa del Vista. They were doing some of those. Uh, uh, exterior shots on the, the the green screen shots were down there, but right. I was solely on the Sony lot, which was great. Um, just uh, a lot of fond memories on that set, man. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a very impressive set, the Enterprise set. I mean, was it was it like all encompassing when you like got on it, like look around, you really felt like you were on the on the ship itself. Yeah, man. Yeah, one thousand percent. Because what it was was they they built the sets to be interconnecting, so you could actually walk from medical to mid to mid bay or you can walk from there to the bridge everything was all connected it wasn't separate sets you could literally so if they wanted to do a steady shot and walk it through they could walk from one set to the other Mm. as if it was a real ship it was a really um surreal thing because i I was just one day during the lunch break i was just walking around and i realized i was walking through the i just you have that moment where you forget where you are and i'm like i'm walking through the u.s enterprise um because it was just it was just so cool how they did that and and that's 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 a kudos to J.J. Abrams because J.J. wanted to make it feel like you were in space and on the spaceship uh, when it was happening. So it was a really cool thing to see. Yeah. Right. And so you were one of the security guards. You you escort Khan in when he gets uh, arrested. <laughs> Good old Benedict Cumberbatch, the yeah. the, the most the, the the guy with the deepest voice ever, and can make anything sound evil. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean he's he, Benedict was just one of the he's a he's one of those very special actors. And I mean that what I mean by that is there's certain actors that if you are around them or anyone who has that kind of presence, you want to elevate your game. And, um, he was one of those, he's one of those actors. It's, 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 it's really hard to describe unless you're around it. But, you know, I would imagine be the same thing if you're on set with Leonardo DiCaprio or, uh, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. It's just, they have this aura about him, and he's got that aura where you're like, Oh, I better be on my A game. It's, and it's, and he's so unassuming. It's not like he insists upon himself. It's just, he just has that. And, um, and it was just really fascinating to see that. And uh, so I got this story on set. So that there's a scene where, the scene where um, Kirk is talking to Khan about, you know, the, the dreadnought class spaceship, uh, uh, Marcus's spaceship that basically attacked him. And that, at this point, the Enterprise is in red alert. So the red lights are, are blaring. And, where we, we do the first take and the I'm in, I'm standing on my mark and, but the red light is just right in my face, like blindingly in my face. And I'm not going to complain. Cause I was, I'm thinking to myself, if this is, if this is making the shot look good, I'm not going to say anything. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of like look away and not look directly at it. Like in a, like a solar eclipse or whatever. And, um, JJ yells cut. And he's like, Hey, can we, can we get a flag on that, that red light? Um, it's, it's blaring on John just way too much. You know, let's just, and I'm thinking to myself, Oh, thank God. And, um, I said, Oh, thanks JJ. He's like, yeah, no problem. I was like, I, I was like, no JJ, that was like the red son of Krypton right in my face. And so, <laughs> and he looks at me, gives me this look and he's like Krypton. And like, it, it's, it, I don't know what, it, I don't know why this stuck with him so much, but he kept, and he's like, Krypton. Krypton. Like he kept repeating Krypton, and then he walked by me. He looks at me and goes, shakes his head, it's Krypton. Krypton. I was like, and I was like, brother. I was like, I, hey, I, I read that league script, the Superman flyby, so I'm fully on board. If you're trying to cross that over with this movie, and he's like, no. And it's like, how do you, how do you 
do you know about that? Wait, 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 wait. this is my best JJ, but I, wait, I didn't what do you know about it? What are you talking? No, no. I was like, hey, I'd buy that. I'd buy that for a dollar. I was like, that's a Robocop reference. Robocop reference. <laughs> and he's like, it's like, I don't even know what to say. And then the whole day, the rest of the day, we come back from lunch and he looks at me and just goes, crypto. Like, <laughs> if I ever, you know, um, I, and I bumped into JJ really randomly at like Barnes and Noble at the Grove. And, and I said, hey, I was sent to say hi to him. And I never assumed that they remember me because those guys meet so many people so i went up to him i said hey and i was like hey jj he's like hey and he was like john john right i was like yeah i was like you know remember krypton he's like oh my god i forgot about that krypton it's like and like he still had i was like you still haven't let it go he's like no i was like so that's always good i always have that kind of like an inside joke with jj abrams which is kind of funny to me because i could just go up to say krypton and it'll immediately spark that moment on set i just yeah, it's just every time you pass me, like, Krypton. And it went on, not just that day. Every time we saw each other, it's just Krypton. He, he, he would like drop at least one Krypton. And it's, most of the time he was whispering it, which was kind of funny to me. It's like, you know, uh, it's like you're like the, the Jewish Barry White going on right now with, uh, with that whispering going on. <laughs> yeah, man. I, you know, speaking of J.J. Abrams' Krypton or Superman Flyby, I would have loved to see that Superman movie. Uh, especially, you know, I know Superman Returns, Man of Steel. There's both mixed opinions about it. Both, obviously, I'm a Superman guy, as you know. So, <laughs> you know, you're you're talking to the we're we're speaking the same language, man. And and I, I want to say this about Superman Returns. I I I very much enjoy Superman Returns. I think what the problem was with that was it it played like a love letter to Richard Donner, um, which I'm totally cool with because I grew up with the Richard Donner Superman. So. Mm-hmm. The fact that he did the same title sequence, the, the John Williams music. Oh, that was incredible, know, yeah. You know, the, the way that the titles flew into the screen, just like in 19, was it 78? Mm-hmm, 78. I love that, but that didn't translate to the newer audience because if you hadn't seen the Richard Donner Superman, you're not going to get the jokes. I mean, even when he's talking with um, Kitty Kowalski and he's saying, Lex Luthor saying, do you know what my dad said to me when I was younger? She said, you know, get out. He's like, no, before that. And like, that was a literal, that took that directly from the first Superman. And I'm sitting there laughing my ass off. And people were like, well, what's so funny? And I wish it was like, oh, that was the first Superman movie. Uh, well, statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel, right? It, yes, exactly. Stuff like that, man. And so I love that. But uh, I felt like, you know, and, and I loved that that was Brian Singer's intentions because I could tell he very much loves the Richard Donner Superman. Mm-hmm. And, and that's always going to be my favorite. Uh, I, I do hold uh, I do love the George Reeves version too because I felt like that was the, that was probably my favorite interpretation of Clark Kent because he wasn't bumbling he was just right you know, he was kind just of a, a cool, guy yeah yeah he's a cool smooth and that, I thought Lois and Clark touched on that pretty cool pretty well too they acknowledged like oh it's kind of just a cool dude but somehow we can't tell he's Superman because he has glasses. Because uh, that's totally logical, but there's also an explanation to that, fanboys and fangirls. So. Yeah, there's an there's an explanation for everything when it comes to comic books. But but you know, it's, you're, you're totally right about Superman Returns. It was it was a vague sequel to movies that had come out 30 years before, and that was just not what we needed at the time. Uh, I, I felt like we needed a like we needed a Batman Begins for Superman, and that's what Flyby would have been. And yes, the earlier drafts had like a Kryptonian Lex Luthor and all that, and that was odd. But I think as as they got more and more drafts, they kind of even iron things out and it would have been pretty exciting so maybe you know maybe the dc ex- extended universe is 
lots of rumors flying about that right now. Maybe they'll have to restart again and we can get J.J. Abrams on the case. So we'll see. You know, you know what I would love to see in the DC Extended Universe and, and, and name draw. Jeff Jones is actually a buddy of mine. And Jeff, Jeff's a guy that I admire very much. I know you do because when he came on to Smallville, what a game changer oh, that Jeff, was. All his episodes you know? are my favorite. Jeff Jones is my favorite comic writer. I, oh, he's, he's the best. I mean, between him and like Jim Lee – you know, and then uh, I saw Frank Miller in there too. So I love, you know, the Dark Knight Returns. I, I love that. Just I just love that story so much. With Jeff, you know, he, so Jeff told me a great story. This is a story that I can share with you. Um, uh, it, it has to do with Smallville, but I figure while I'm here, I, I'll share with you since we're on this. You know, uh, you, did you know that I have a podcast about Smallville? <laughs> oh, you know what? Well, why don't we save that story for the Smallville podcast? How about that? So That's then, right. so so listeners. You're going to have to tune in to this always told on the Smallville if you want to hear the story that I got from Jeff Johns regarding some Smallville. It's a, it's a goodie. So I'll leave that one for another time. How to about that? To be continued on to that To be one. continued for sure. But, but I will say this is what I would love to see in the DC Extended Universe because you know, my favorite show on TV is actually The Flash. This includes Game of Thrones, Westworld, you know, all of those shows. It's my favorite show on TV. If you, even if it wasn't Barry Allen, I would still be very much invested in these characters because mm-hmm. – I, I, they've done such a great job in that show. And um, what I would love to see happen is, you know, basically the equivalent of the infinite crisis. And that way we, it's like rebooting, but not rebooting. Cause basically, you know, we can have a pre-crisis extended universe and a post-crisis extended universe. So that way, if we want to bridge that gap and then we can maybe make Grant Gustin the cinematic flash and start, you know, cleaning up all this stuff, it would be forgiven because then we can bring those worlds together. Right. It's, 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 such a, it's such a smart thing to do, much like Days of Future Past and X-Men kind of reset everything and fixed it. It would have been the same thing for DC Universe. I, I really hope they do that, John. Exactly. And also the Red Matter and J.J. from Star Trek. I thought, I know a lot oh, yeah. of Trekkies didn't like that, but I thought, and his, for him, that was brilliant because that was his way of just, this is, you know, not the prime Earth. Yeah, it's so it's so smart. It's it, you know the the JJ unit the, the Kelvin timeline as we come to know it, right? It's a reboot, but it's a sequel and it's a prequel all in one. I mean, that's genius. That's a whole genius part about the Kelvin timeline films, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I 1000% agree with that. So, see, listeners, I was going to tie it all into Star Trek. <laughs> it was it was coming back, guys. <laughs> it was coming back. I brought it back. <laughs> but that's what I would love to see in the extended universe and I and I feel like, um, and not, I feel like it's such a name drop. My my other buddy is Jonathan Sheck. He plays Jonah Hex on the CWDC shows uh, on Legends of Tomorrow. And and I remember I talking to him about it. I'm like, you know, if you get in the room with those guys, like tell them like Jonah Hex was there for, like pre crisis, like he could be the link between the cinematic universe, you know, because um, the dude's been through it all. Uh, I just, I just think that'd be a really cool thing to do. And I think Grant Gustin's doing such a that whole cast is so on point. Oh, that Flash, it, you know, be, beyond just the superhero stuff, it gets you in the feels every week with, like, the, the whole Allen family and just, oh, so good. Yeah, and that's, that's my test for what a, a great genre movie because if, if you watch, say, The Dark Knight, which is probably one of the better movies that have come out in our, you know, in our time, but if that, was, if that wasn't Batman, if he was just a vigilante, if he was, you know, just, just a general vigilante, you would still be just as invested in that movie and in, in that the Joker was just a sociopath kind of psycho sociopath. Yeah, if it had no ties to any pop culture that already existed, it would still be great. You would still be great. It might have won Best Picture, honestly. I, I feel like it, it wasn't nominated because it was a Batman movie. It was a DC movie. Right. right. You know, and that's my whole thing. If you take away that element in a superhero movie, in a sci-fi movie, are you still invested in the story? And the answer is yes, then they've made a great movie. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's usually my barometer of success. And um, 
that, that's the way I go about it. And I felt like Star Trek did that. I, I feel exactly the same way because in Star Trek 09, the opening scene is my favorite scene in all of Star Trek because it just gets you on every level. And I, you don't know who these characters are. It doesn't matter. But it just, uh, it just gets you so much when, you know, George Kirk has to sacrifice himself to save the ship and save the family. And it's such a strong way to kick off the movie and this whole franchise. Yeah, and well, it's okay. And George, you know, for anyone who said about George Kirk, don't worry, he was saved by, you know, Odin of Asgard and he became Thor. So obviously, <laughs> things worked out fine for George Kirk. I, he turned out okay. And rumor has it he'll be back in Star Trek 4, but we'll see about that. But uh, That's what I've been hearing, you know, and uh, that's what I've been hearing. I, I would love to see that happen. I would love to see that come about. It'd, it'd almost be like generations for the new audience, you know. But, but, but better. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So taking it back to Into Darkness. So yeah. on your time on set, did you interact with like obviously you talked to, to abrams but in any of the other actors in any serious capacity or did you just kind of stay in your lane i know how it is <laughs> when when you're in these bigger productions how you just kind of do your job you don't want to overstep your bounds or anything like that so did you have any kind of interactions with anybody else while you were there of- i did i did later on later on at first i was very very you know just you know you had those moments like i didn't feel like i belonged there i because these are people that i've watched I, you know i i had watched the 09 star trek and was a huge fan of it and uh, so it was just surreal to see like Simon Pegg sitting two chairs down for me when we're, we're basically we're in, um, uh, you know, casting, holding, you know, getting ready for the next setup. But so I was very kind of reserved. And um, and, and then all of a sudden one day uh, I'm sitting in my chair and I hear this voice go, you're going to die today because you're in a red shirt. And I look up and it's Simon Pegg. <laughs> and I was like, you're in a red shirt, too, though. He's like. Oh, you're right. Oh no, I'm about to ask for a re- and then that that was kind of like the icebreaker where um, when once Simon was like kind of like I, I don't know if he intentionally meant for it to be this, but for me it was that was like a sign of it's cool. You can you, we can all interact. Uh, everyone was a little different. Chris Pine was very nice, but also very focused when he, we were on set and even in rehearsal, he was just very dialed in to what he was doing, and I always respect that. Carl Urban was very much the same way. He was just very focus on set um zoe super sweet i got you know we had a we all had a bonding moment on so that scene where we um uh are walking con through the engine room so fun movie trivia for everybody that's actually the budweiser factory um in los angeles it's off of the 101 freeway and the coldest day of my life and i'm from chicago uh and i've grown up in winters that was the coldest day of my life uh because we're in this like negative degree you know temperature just we're in a big brewery and they dress it up to look like the engine room which is really cool and and basically we had this bonding experience where basically all of us cast members were like doing jumping jacks and push-ups in between days because we were trying not to get frostbite and um and uh, i just remember uh benedict said something he's like i wonder if i can get a beer here while i'm you know (laughs) so it's like jj is there a tap i can attach to one of these and we can maybe keep warm a different way you know it was just and it was just it was that 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 was towards the end of the that was towards the end of my run uh in terms of my work on the the movie but um yeah so they they warmed up to that but for the first like month or so i was very much just trying to like not piss anybody off (laughs) <laughs> you know and not get fired that that reminds me have you seen the uh the recent social media leak for the behind the scenes pictures of discovery i haven't i haven't I, well, well this, I, this guy posted he took a picture and put it like on his instagram or facebook or something he's like hey getting ready with my fellow klingons today and my f- first thought is this guy is so fired 
we we had a couple people like that uh on set we had one that posted a photo from his wardrobe fitting mm-hmm. um he was not brought to set uh, tough, and, and, and he was a blue shirt. He would, he had a chance, you know, to, to <laughs> he, move on. <laughs> he was working in the science division. He would have been fine, but, uh, he couldn't leave all well enough. There, we had a couple people who, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to use names, but this dude, uh, I remember he parked in the crew parking lot. He, he was a background actor mm-hmm. and he parked in the crew parking lot, uh, by base camp which that's a big no, no. If, um, you're ever on set, don't just park where they tell you to park. Don't, don't, do anything else and he gets out of his car and people are looking at this guy like hey are you crew he's like no i'm security <laughs> i'm like oh no this guy's not gonna last till lunch and he didn't he was gone after lunch <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's you feel bad for him but at the same time you have to sign so many things that tell you not to do that it's it's totally your own fault if you break the rules and get fired after something like that you know yeah and it's not like it, it it's not like that sign for crew parking was written in klingon it was very much in english <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it was in Spanish too, in case he's bilingual. But I mean, it was, as I knew that that's just the one thing. I mean, he, he probably would have parked in like JJ Abrams or Roberto Orsi's or Kurt Alex's parking spot and just been like, whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> like, it, it was a very interesting guy. I, one day I'll make a movie about him. Like from the, the, the six hours I spent with him because he was a very, <laughs> he was a character and he was always like, I don't know if he was a former bodybuilder, but he's always like flexing. You know, and uh, talking about his like uh, his pythons or whatever, and I'm like, man, you sound like a you sound like a poor man's Hulk Hogan from the '80s. I'm, I'm not know what's going on here, brother. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I called him brother too. I'm like, brother, you sound like Hulk Hogan from the '80s, and he totally didn't get it. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> oh that's good. So you were the, I mean, you're only in a, a, a small handful of scenes, but you, you you shot a long time there. Well, it was on and off, so it wasn't continuously for five months, so okay. it was just based around the schedule of what they were shooting, so it just happened to be that it, it was within the span between January and May uh, gotcha. 2012. Yeah, so I mean, there's a handful, some stuff got cut, um, unfortunately, but that happens, that comes to the territory, uh, It's because it's not about the red shirt, you know, and you know, it's about, you know, that guy named, you know, James T. Kirk, you know, and he's kind of important to the story, uh, but it's it was just a fun experience and i learned a lot um just because jj was very gracious and just kind of letting me you know unofficially shadow him uh on the set and just i just learned a lot about how he interacts with actors because that's a that's a tall order one to be taken on a franchise and two to be working with a lot of these i don't want to say egos but personalities of very established actors who know what they're doing um but it's just like to have control of that. And anytime an actor had a question for him, and there were a lot, and rightfully so, he always had an answer. And I was just very inspired by that. And I was like, there's a reason why this guy is where he is because, you know, he does his homework. He's very much people oriented. He's there for the actors and um, very performance driven uh, as a director. Uh, so I have another thing. This is just an observation I made. We're, we're doing this scene where, um, uh, it's that's and so it was between uh, Kirk and Khan, and Benedict just nails the scene. I mean, he nailed every take he did. He did have a couple of bloopers, but who doesn't? But he just nailed this take, and then he's like, "Great, let's move on." And then I see Benedict go, "JJ, can I ask you something?" And I just see him kind of whispering, and um, kind of pleading his. It's, he was basically pleading his case to get another take. And then in the middle of it, JJ just kind of cuts him off, like, "Do do you want another take? If you want one more, we do one more. Do you feel like you can do something different?" He's like. And Ben is like surprised, like, oh, 
yeah, that'd be great. Like, all right. And he's like, wait, wait, guys, hold on, hold on. We're going to do one more. We're going to do one more. And then um, that's the take they use in the movie, actually. Because, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, so I learned that if the actor really feels like they can bring something different, um, let them do it. Uh, and I never saw him really say no to any idea. His answer was always, try it. He's like, but if it doesn't work, then let's scrap it. And, and, and I love that about him. And I feel like, you know, I feel like Steven Spielberg is the same way because, you know, as we know, you know, him and Spielberg are very tight and have very, you know, kind of similar styles. And I, I, I really take that to heart as a director because I know that when actors come to set and they're, they're really investing time with this character, they're going to have ideas. And they say, what if I try, what if I do this? My answer is the same thing. I say, try it. Uh, but I always give the, the caveat of, but if it's not working, you know, we're not going to, then let's move on from that. But if you shut them down, then they're going to be wondering, oh, what if I would have done that? It might have worked. Um, so it's just like, you don't lose anything by letting them try or even doing one more take. Yeah, very healthy, collaborative, creative environment, it sounds like. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and like, that's why he's who he is. You know, that's why the really successful directors I've noticed are like that. Uh, uh, one of my really good friends and kind of a mentor to me, uh, named James Wan, who is about to direct Aquaman. Mm. And he's very much the same way. And he's just, he comes to said he knows what he wants, but he's just, you know, he's not like a bull rush. He's, he's the right balance of, you know, easygoing, but also stays strong in his convictions. Because um, I feel like if you got someone who tries to bull rush everything, then that's not the way to go. But if you're someone that's too passive, you're just going to get trampled. And um, to have that right balance of both, I've just noticed the really elite directors have that. And, um, what i'm trying to get that's you know that's what i aspire to have so i mean that's that's what i took out of you know working with like jj it's just it's just it was just really magic to see man that's awesome and so yeah speaking of that you know you're you're kind of transitioning now more to behind the camera stuff right like producer director more so than acting it's like so where, where do you like where where, where things go from here for you now i mean that is my main focus my main focus is the directing writing acting producing um, I also, you know, have a hand in post-production. So that, that's my main focus. I really love being behind camera. Uh, I love constructing a scene and putting it together, you know, framing compositions. I, I love all that stuff. And, you know, that, that, that's, that's really a great thing for me because even in sports, I love coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I even love coaching more than I played. And I love playing, don't get me wrong. But there's something gratifying to me about the directing and then the, the behind-the-scenes process. And then just, you know, really motivating the actor to the point where they really surrender to their character and bring out this performance that even they didn't know they had. Um, and, um, and to me, that's exciting. And for some people, it's the opposite. They like to be in front of camera and they want to bring that out of themselves and, you know, and present that to people. Um, I'm just the opposite of that, you know. No, it's, it's good to have that balance, though. Because okay? when you can do everything, you can kind of understand where everybody's coming from. Because I've found, like, you know, when you work at these things, when, when you know, you got producers on high or whatever, they, they, they have a, an idea and they really want something to happen a certain way. You're like, man, you don't even know what you're asking me to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when they say fix it in post. And I, and I work in post-production. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we ain't fix it. Like, we're not magicians in post. So FYI, when you say fix it in post, like, we can do a lot of cool things now. Um, but don't abuse the system. And, I, and, right. and it happens a lot. Um, they're like, well, you can, you can just DFX that. Like, I mean, I, I've known productions that they'll have their camera B operator in the shot, in the camera A shot, but they don't move them out because they know they can rotoscope them out and just mm. paint them out 
And I'm like, that's lazy. You can just move. (laughs) You can just move like two feet to your right and he's not in the shot or he or she. Uh, Because there's plenty of awesome female camera operators that I've met. Uh, But it's just an abuse of the system and it's just mind boggling and kind of hilarious to me that it's like you're spending that much extra time on a VFX shot. Um, and that's where the bulk of VFX is going now. Yeah, it's like fix easily avoidable errors. Yeah, and uh, and I'm just a firm believer in VFX is the supplement. It's not the substitute. Like to me, it's not. I'd rather, you know, if I can shoot as much of it in camera as possible, I will. Um, but always have some sort of practical reference, you know, for the VFX artists. And the VFX artists are going to love you for that because. Um, it's just less time consuming and it just looks better on screen when you uh-huh. do that. You know, this, this is, you know, you can, there's, that being said, there's a lot of cool things, cool things being done with VFX. And it's really fascinating. But at the same time, I don't like to rely on that. I like that to be, you know, the cherry on top of the Sunday, not everything else, you know? Exactly. Yeah. The best special effects, you don't even know we're there. And it just blend, seamlessly blend in with everything else that's going on. Absolutely, that's one thousand percent right. And you should you should coin that quote <laughs> if someone else hasn't, because that's a. I wish I'd said it first. Now now I'm gonna have to now I'm gonna have to reference you when I say it. I, I think I might have heard it somewhere else, but I'll take credit, John. And I'm gonna give credit to you. So to, to <laughs> hashtag Zach. I mean that that's because that that's one thousand percent right. You know. Cool. Well, John, you know, before we before we sign off here, man, uh, what, like, what do you got in the works right now that you can share with us that, that we should look forward to uh, coming out from you in the in the near future? Oh, I mean, a couple things. I mean, I've got a couple pilot scripts that are out there that are um, we're going to see if they're going to land and get a home. Um, can't really give specifics about either of them, but a couple things are out there. Hopefully, they they find a home soon. Uh, I have a movie I produced last year. It's going to come out in a couple months. It's called Savage Dog, <clears throat> and it has. Um, Scott Atkins uh, from the Undisputed franchise is in there. He's also he's also on Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. so he's the star of the movie. And um, also uh, Kung Lee, the, the former UFC fighter, is in there. And got Marco Zorro, who Zorro, who is uh, he fought with um, Scott in Undisputed. So it's a really cool action movie. It's directed by uh, Jesse Johnson, who's a really good friend of mine. I've known him for about six or seven years now, and. Um, so it takes place in like 1959 Indochina and it's, it's kind of like a throwback to those man with no name Westerns where the guy comes to town and he's just, re- you know, almost like those revenge tours. He just comes in and he's ready to just kick ass and take what belongs to him. And um, you don't see a lot of that. And, and so it's called Savage Dog. I mean, look out for it in the next, I would say two or three months. I, I think it's going to be released. I'm not 1000% sure. I, the distributor still figuring things out, but mm-hmm. um, so that was my producing venture. Um, it looks like we're gonna I may be jumping on as a producer on another project, uh, and I'm doing this little kind of docudrama series called Fight or Flight. That's gonna be uh, addressing violence in the world and how you can keep yourself safe and become a hard target, like make your home a hard target. So it's kind of half educational, half reenactment um sort of thing so that's that's one that's one of my passion projects because I, I think it's important for people to know that they can keep themselves safe uh you know from these situations they don't have to be a victim so um that's that one and i have a movie i'm directing later this year uh it's uh, all i'm gonna say is it's it's regarding the 1992 la riots okay um, so i don't and i know that there's a couple of movies out there i know daniel craig has one called kings um that's coming out. It's him and Halle Berry. I have one. It's, it's about the 92 rides. It's 
that's all I'll say. I'm, I'm taking a page out of JJ Abrams book and uh, I'm probably even saying too much. And that's not even a page out of JJ's book. He wouldn't even say the, <laughs> the, the well, subject. Th- thanks for giving us a, just a little peek into the mystery box there. John. Uh, oh, I, oh, mystery box. You saw that Ted talk too, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're referencing. <laughs> and then that, uh, but so that, that's really, that's really right now. My main, my main, uh, passion project, um, is, um, the riots movie this is this one's uh this one this one's kind of a personal one to me in a lot of ways because uh, uh, for multiple reasons but it, that's one to look out for uh, that, and i won't even say the title of it even though you can probably find it on imdb we'll keep an eye out for all that stuff and and thank you again man so much for taking the time to talk to me today it's, it's just it's so, it's so fascinating to, to hear the, these behind the scenes stories of how, how the industry works and all that, all that great stuff. So, you know, if, if people want to, you know, just kind of keep, keep following you and, and find you uh, and your work online, like where can they do that website, Twitter, that kind of thing? Well, Twitter is, it's simple. It's just my name, John Lee Brody, uh, which is no H in the John. So John Lee Brody, all one word. It's the same thing on Instagram. Um, I'm not on Tinder or eHarmony or any of those things, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, so you can't find me there, but I don't know if you'd want to anyway, but, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Twitter's probably where I'm most active. If you, if you want to like engage and talk in nerdy conversations, I'm always game for that. You know, I mean, you and I uh, follow each other on there and we, we've had a, I think we had a funny one the other week. Someone was talking about um, the Carrie Fisher episode of Smallville. Yes, um, yes. And, and I had to jump in. I'm like, hey, you know, they referenced Buffy in that episode and James Marsters was a recurring guest star. He was Spike on Buffy, and then Project One went through. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I had, I had to jump in and just, you know, was it my favorite episode? No, but it was hilarious to me, and I, I was like, and I loved all the references. So mm-hmm. I can't really, I can't hate on it. I can't hate on Smallville at all. And you know, so that being said, always hold on to Smallville podcast. You know, that's going to be in our near future, right? That's right. That's right. Yes, you, you will be. That is something else in your future coming up, John, for sure. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, so everyone, please, please tune in. To, uh, I, I don't know how many times we've mentioned it, but I'm mentioning one more time. Always hold on to Smallville. Um, you know, what's funny is, uh, okay, before we go, I got to tell you because, no, you know what? I'll save that for the Smallville podcast because well, that's more two, appropriate. There. Two cliffhangers two, now for the Smallville podcast. Two, actually three. There's, there's three things that I have related to Smallville things that'll really tie into that universe really well so we're gonna leave it at that and um kind of pull the tony robbins and be like oh we're out of time so you gotta you gotta tune into the other podcast so. awesome man well, that's cool and then you know if you ever uh, pop back into the star trek universe be sure to let us know I, I you know they haven't called me back so maybe i did die off screen you never know i mean then <laughs> uh, i didn't get the call from beyond or discovery uh but i thought beyond was great honestly i thought beyond was a very much a throwback to the original series and i thought that was a really cool thing it felt like a you know hour and a half hour hour 45 minute episode of the star trek series i thought that was mm-hmm. awesome absolutely um yeah and uh, i thought it was so much fun you know justin lynn's just killing it you know with everything he does it's like he's kind of like got the midas touch with franchises and he's an inspiring one as well but uh, and uh, as far as discovery goes uh We'll see. I, I, I have high hopes for it. It seems like they're on the right path, but, you know, we won't really know until we see it. One day, maybe I'll, I'll find my way back in that universe. It may not be in front of camera. Um, maybe I'll be behind camera, or maybe you'll see me pop up in the DC universe somewhere. That's right, man. So stay tuned. Pay attention to the credits, man. That's what I always tell people, you know, because <laughs> I know in school, our professors always said, you know, you want to stay and watch the whole credits because one day 
your name's going to be in there. You're going to want to see it. And that's that's so true. And so that's why it's it's so great that, you know, Marvel has has kind of encouraged everyone to stay to the end of the credits. Now, I feel like they're getting a little lazy now and putting in these these mid-credit scenes, you know, so people can leave after that. <laughs> like, no, no, you got to stay for the whole thing, man. <laughs> that's why you got to do They're being smart, though, because they put two. They do the mid and the uncredit ones. So they, they, they keep it smart. So they keep you honest. But some of them, yeah, they only leave the mid-credits. Like, oh, we can leave. What about the other 15,000 names there, man? Come on, show a little respect. Yeah, especially the VFX artists, because uh, you guys don't know. Like, it's just, there's a lot of them that I, I call like the post-production you know, personnel. It's like they're offensive linemen on a football team. You're not going to you know, really know who they are. They don't get the headlines, but they can't work without them. Right. Um, you know, and, you know, editing, you know, I know we were supposed to end this podcast, but, you know, you got me going. This <laughs> You know, editing is, they say, like the last rewrite of the movie. This is where you can, you can discover new things. You're not going to deviate completely, but, you know, and it's people you don't realize. There's, there's just, you know, you know, you'll watch a Scorsese movie and be blown away by it, but you don't think about the fact that Thelma Schoonmaker really makes a lot of that movie because of the choices she makes as an editor and because Marty Scorsese trusts her. You know? and, um, it's, it's things like that you don't think about, but, you know, and then especially VFX artists, there's so many compositors and rotoscope artists and, you know, that's why those credits are really long in those Marvel movies because they got, I mean, they're going like, I don't want to say three, four, five hundred deep with like these artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes their assignment is just the rotoscope, you know, the hand on Iron Man. Uh, right. So it's just, like, we don't think about that stuff. So, I mean, just, just FYI, people, I know, if, you know, you want to, you know, get out of there, but at the same time, you can, I think you can spare a couple minutes to just, you know, at least acknowledge them. You might not know who they are, but. Um, it's, a nice, it's a nice gesture. Yeah, it's exactly. If you don't stay for the post-credit scene, stay for the music, right? Over the end of credits. If you don't stay for the music, stay for the people who spent hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months working on the entertainment you just enjoyed. Exactly. And I will say, you know, with VFX, I mean, Tim Miller was a VFX guy on Blur Studios, became the Deadpool director. So just because they might be listed as a VFX artist doesn't mean... You know, they ain't going to be somebody. Yeah, but. and the directors of the John Wick movies were the stunt coordinators on The Matrix, right? So yeah, exactly, exactly. You so you just never know, man. But uh, either way, it's just it takes um, a lot of moving parts to make a, a, a successful feature film. Just to, just to make a movie in general, there's a lot of moving parts. And it's, it goes way beyond uh, the people listening to the opening title credits and the people you see on screen. It's just that's why um, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about possessory credit and i if, if a director takes that that's fine i mean that's i'm not saying don't take it for me personally i don't think i could ever do that because having worked in pretty much every aspect of the motion picture business uh and knowing what it takes to make a movie i don't think i would feel comfortable with seeing a film by john lee it's just because it's the films by you know i may have directed it and pushed it in the right direction but at the same time it's it's an you know it's a collaboration of all of us. You don't do a John Carpenter thing where your name's over every title of the movie? I don't think I could ever do that, man. I don't, I don't think I could because I, I just, you know, I have so much love for everybody that works on the movie, you know, from everyone from, from you know, the, the financier and, you know, all the way down to craft services. Like, it, right. it takes all those people to make these things happen. And uh, to take, possess- to me personally, I'm just saying to me personally, everyone, just FYI, if you take one take possessory credit, that's totally cool and I'm not going to hate on you for it. But for me personally, I don't think I could ever do it because I just view it so much as like a team effort. Yeah, man, I, I, I've worked a lot in television myself and it, I, I simultaneously simultaneously get 
like way too much and not enough credit for what I do. Like, yeah. Like, oh well, you worked in the Super Bowl stuff, or I'm like, yeah, I was just I was one cog in a very big machine. Yeah, very. <laughs> and then other times it's like, oh yeah, yeah. What do you just run a camera? Big deal. I'm like, well. <laughs> Can you run a camera? Like, you know, like, a little more complicated than that, but you know, and that's 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 what we got to deal with, man. But you know, it's we wouldn't trade it for anything. I know. That. Absolutely, man. I love it. So, all right, John. Well, thanks again for talking to me today. And you know, the life and times of John Lee Brody isn't the only thing we've been talking about this week on Trek FM. Uh, here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. <laughs> My casting choices, okay, would be for Ruck, you got to go with Dave Bautista, right? Uh, he's uh, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. He played Jinx in... Uh, yeah, Inspector. Yeah, not Jinx. What's his name? Hinks, Mr. Hinks. Hinks. Mr. Hinks. Yeah, Mr. Hinks. That's the wrong James Bond film, everybody. <laughs> the 602 Club. Going back to the Gotham thing really quickly, I know this is semi-derailing. Um, why would you want to move to Gotham? I mean, he has to have been there. It's like the picture that he has on his wall is this beautiful, shiny, like daytime view, if I'm not mistaken, of Gotham, which I don't think we ever see. Um, it was like, I'm not really sure. Charm City looks quite nice. <laughs> like so. Saturday morning trek. It's very much like a continuation of the original series. You know what? You raise a very good point, and it's one we probably should have talked about earlier, is that we talk so much about the animation and the limitations of the medium that we forget about the writing. And overall, it's pretty strong throughout the run. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm and Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And also the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And speaking of Patreon... Thank you, as always, to our associate producers of Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts, Norman Lau, Aaron Harvey, and Nick Anastasio. Thank you so much for all your support of both Standard Orbit and Trek FM through Patreon. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701, Norm on Twitter at Starfighter1701, and our buddy Aaron Harvey on Twitter at GeekFilter. And Nick isn't on Twitter, you can find him on Facebook and, of course, around the Babel Conference. As for us personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E, 
O-N-C-A-C-H, on Twitter. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, about the Young Superman show from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. As for my regular co-host, Ken Tripp, you can find him on Twitter at BostonSCPO, so look him up on social media there. Well, that's going to do it, folks. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>